Ah, yes. A happy Friday to you and yours here on MLB Morning Coffee. This is your host, Greg Moraz, coming to you from the Ocean Avenue studios in San Francisco, California. Not a whole lot of baseball news. We're going into a couple of content planning meetings to discuss what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. So today we are doing a Coffee Conversations look back at Ian Jabot, Texas Rangers reliever, and Jonah DePoto, Kansas City Royals prospect. We are going to be going back and listening to both of those interviews. Jabot is going to be first. His was about a half hour. DePoto's will be second. His is about 45 minutes. So we invite you to listen to both one of the interviews or the other interview. Either way, make sure you go back and listen to all of our episodes a lot of the content is not timely. It's evergreen. We got a lot of top 10 lists. We got a couple more coffee conversations with Luke Farrell, Dalton Kelly, Zach Littell, and Derek Adams. So we hope that you enjoy this coffee conversations look back. Let's go to our first interview with Texas Rangers reliever Ian Jabot here on MLB Morning Coffee. Ah, yes. Welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Greg Moraz here from the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California, and we are pleased to be joined for our coffee conversation today. He is a relief pitcher in the Texas Rangers organization. He made his big league debut last year. Joining us from Houston, Texas, it is Ian Jabot. Ian, what's going on, man? Thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you for having me. Uh, excited to be on with you and talk some baseball and drink some coffee. Hey, I uh, I got a I got a cup right here. And uh, what's your preferred go-to coffee? You're a Starbucks guy, Dunkin' Donuts guy. Is there a, a chain down in Houston that's uh, that's your favorite? What what's your go-to for coffee? I mean, Starbucks is always the the quick and easy easy fix. Uh, there's a lot of good coffee coffee shops down here in Houston though that. Uh, some of my buddies go to, and then I've been to a few times. Uh, one, one called Blacksmith. It's pretty good. And I think Hunter Pence actually has one um, called Coral Sword. He owns a coffee shop down here that I haven't yet yet checked out yet, but I'll, hopefully once this lockdown blows over, I'll be able to check it out. Yeah, so let me take you to spring training. This is your first full spring training with the Rangers because you were drafted and you came up in the Rays organization. I know that your guys' complex is in surprise because I worked in the Royals organization for a year, and I know that a lot of those guys were told to go home. What was the situation like? I know Luke, when he came on our coffee conversations, gave me what they told you guys to do, but what was the experience like for you knowing that Everything was going to get shut down. It was a bummer, for sure. When you when you heard first heard it and found out, I mean, no one wants to hear that. But uh, I mean, it was it was a scramble. I mean, no one really knew what was going on. Um, I kind of just chilled for a, little, a few days and kind of assessed the situation and see what was going on. Um, and then by the time that they kind of shut the complex down and started sending kind of the younger guys home. Um, I figured this this thing was going to put, take a pretty serious turn, and it was time to drive on back to Houston. Yeah, I figure you probably have a good backup plan in place for any of those scenarios. I know that for one of my former minor league teams, one of the guys on that team, Ryan O'Hearn, basically had a backup place at his home in Dallas that he said that he was going to go to if any of this happened, and that's what he ended up doing. 
So knowing that you play for a team in the state of Texas and being able to come home if things do get started again, and even if you do end up in AAA, your affiliate's in Nashville, which is not that far. So it seems like you've got a couple of pretty good options if and when the season does get back going again. For sure. I mean, I'm not too far away. And uh, even they've talked about doing the whole Florida and Arizona thing. And Arizona's not too far. And, again, Nashville's not very far. So they've they've, they've discussed a lot of a lot of options for sure. So you went to college at Tulane. What was behind your decision to go there? Obviously pretty close to home for you, being that Louisiana is just a stone's throw away from Houston. But what was the decision like to go to college at Tulane? I mean, it was one, it was the only out-of-state school that was recruiting me. Um, so I was looking at Sam Houston State, Houston, like U of H, um, and Rice. And Rice was kind of always like, a dream school for me to go to. Like I grew up in the backyard of it, grew up as a little kid going to the games. Um, but my mom's, my mom's family's from Lafayette. So we have ties to Louisiana and we always go there. And it's, I've always loved it. Uh, so my family's over there and I just went and took a visit uh, with one of my good friends that I grew up with. He was a freshman at Tulane at the time. Um, and I just fell in love with it on the visit. It was a blast. I ate some great food. I loved the coaches there. Uh, and it was it was phenomenal. Wouldn't wouldn't change it for the world. And you had a pretty darn good career at Tulane. You were a reliever all of your years. You actually made one start your junior season and your sophomore year in 2014. I've got your college stats pulled up. You had a rough year because you got injured. I assume you only pitched in ten games. But you had a one four six ERA. You go to the Cape League, you play with Hyannis, and you dominate. What was it like for you being able to go to a summer league in a year where you know scouts are going to be looking at you and put up the type of performance that you did? I don't have your numbers in front of me, but all I knew is that whenever Katuit faced Hyannis and Ian Jabot was coming in, it was game over. You know, the Cape the Cape's a special league. It, it was... I had a blast there, and you playing on like the high school fields. It really, it almost relaxes the game to where you don't, you feel like you're playing a pickup game with your friends, except it's top prospects that are going into this next year's draft. Um, so I mean, I think that really helped, uh, and just just having fun with the guys that were on the team, and you meet some really cool guys from different colleges and. Then you run into him and pro ball again. It's it's a really fun experience. I enjoyed every second of it. Who was your toughest at bat in the Cape League? Because there's a lot of guys that have played, at least I was in the Cape League in 2013 and 2014, and there's already a lot of guys that I had on my teams and that I saw play against our teams that have already made the big league. So who was the toughest at bat that you had to face there? And I assume somebody that has potentially already made the bigs. One that really stands out that I still remember uh, was Ian Hack. He was he's a tough out. I always thought, um, and yeah, I mean he, he shot through the minor leagues pretty quick. But he was he was he definitely stood out uh, in that summer league. A two-year Harwich Mariner. I always remember him hitting at the top of the order for Harwich each of those two years, and and he certainly was as tough an out as anybody. So let's go to the draft process. You have a good junior year at Tulane. 
for those that don't know, it is much more advantageous for a player to only go to college for three years because they have a lot more leverage in the draft in in their junior year than they do their senior year. So you go into that junior year, you pitch well, and you expect that you're going to get drafted. You're taken in the 11th round by the Tampa Bay Rays, who are one of the best organizations for developing young pitching. What was the process like for you? Did you have an agent that was able to help you out? And what eventually went behind your decision to sign instead of returning for your senior year? You know, yeah, my agent helped out a lot, Brody Schofield. I'm still with him to this day. Um, he's been awesome to me. He's been phenomenal doing his job. I haven't had a complaint with him at all. Um, but, yeah, the draft, it was it was a whirlwind for sure. I mean, you hear all sorts of things, and this scout telling you this, this scout telling you that. And so you, you start formulating things in your idea, and you either can be let down or – you can be super happy, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I was super, super happy to get picked up by the Rays. I mean, I enjoyed every second that I was with them. Uh, it was I learned a lot. I feel like I developed a lot as a pitcher through that organization. As you said, they're one of the best, and I believe that also. Um, but, yeah, it was it – was, overall, it was definitely a fun process, I would say. It was an exciting time. We're here with Ian Jabot, Texas Rangers reliever on MLB Morning Coffee. Ian, I'm looking at your minor league stats, and everywhere that you went, you pitched well. So you start off in the Appy League in 2015. You make 12 appearances there, which is pretty typical for most short-season leagues. They have bigger rosters, so they balance a lot of the appearances of guys, and things are scheduled out. You go to the Midwest League the next year. You start off with Bowling Green. You only make seven appearances there, but... You give up one run in 10 innings. You strike out 18 and only walk one. Then you go to high A. You pitch 27 games there. You have a 2.85 over that time. Start again in high A in 17. Get bumped up to double A where you have a 2.22 ERA in 43 appearances. Spend all of 2018 in triple A where your ERA is barely above one. I mean, what got you to the point where you felt like you were the most dominant reliever in the Rays minor leagues because you were the closer for that 2018 Durham Bulls team. You had 14 saves and 15 opportunities, and you only walked 21 in 56 innings, and you struck out 75. I mean, you're a guy that is known as a strikeout pitcher. What did it take for you going through the minors to take your game to the next level? Listening to the resources you have at hand, I mean, it's always huge. I mean, just learning from the various coaches that – I was with throughout the way and teammates and all that comes into it and really makes you a better player, I I believe. And just taking in the different opinions and listening to different people, uh, I think really, really opens your mind and you're able to really understand yourself even more, I believe. And I think once I got to double A, I really started coming into my own, uh, really started figuring out out, like what made me a pitcher and it was it was an exciting time I, I feel like I threw the ball pretty well um, but I mean we that team was a fun team to play for and I enjoyed every second playing with them those guys here's a fun clubhouse and only it didn't end the way we wanted it to but it happens you know It always seems to me from the outside that Durham is always in the conversation 
for that International League title. Let's fast forward a little bit. July 5th or 6th, I'm not exactly sure based on the transaction date, but what was it like when your manager told you that you're headed to the big leagues? I mean, it was overwhelming. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, I mean, to know how hard that you worked and how hard, how much work you put into it, and it's it's something that you can't ever replicate again, really. What was that meeting like? Did uh, was it a surprise to you? Were you somewhat expecting it? Was it a little bit of in between? I'd say a little bit of in between. I mean, because you know. Every guy, all the pitchers in Triple A are watching the big league game. Obviously, you're seeing who pitches, it's a long game, or rain out, or anything like that. And I think something happened to where I think the big league team went a few extra innings. So, I mean, some someone was getting called up, but just you didn't know who. And I ended up not pitching that game. I think we got rained out or something. Um, we played, and we were in a rain delay, and I think like. 11:30 at night rolls around. They bang the game, and our manager comes in, uh, and he's basically just telling us, "Hey, game's canceled." Blah 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 blah. And he was just like, "Oh yeah, one more thing. Uh, I just got an announcement to make. Uh, I got a guy that uh, he's worked so hard and all this, and, and then he just finally tells it, and team goes crazy, and it's just big celebration. It was awesome." That has to be the biggest thrill in the world. But an interesting development then, because less than two weeks later, you're traded to the Texas Rangers. So you spend three-plus years with one organization. Actually, I'm doing math wrong. Four-plus years with one organization. And in the span of two weeks, you go from making your big league debut to moving on to another organization. What was that like when you were told that you were traded? I mean, it was definitely a surprise. Uh, I mean, obviously, no one is ever expecting they're going to be traded. So it's definitely a surprise. But, uh, I mean, again, I appreciate everything that the Rays did for me and taught me and helped me develop as a pitcher. And ever since I've been traded to the Rangers, I was super excited to be there. Right when uh, John Daniels called me, we talked and had a great conversation and really, really made me – uh, optimistic about my time coming up with the Rangers, and I've I've loved every second with them. It's been an awesome ride, met some really cool people, made some good friendships for sure. We are here with Texas Rangers reliever Ian Jabot on MLB Morning Coffee. It's got to be pretty cool for you knowing now that you're playing for a team in your home state. I just have to feel like even though they're in the Dallas area and you grew up in the Houston area. It still has to be pretty cool that you're playing for a team in the state that you were born and raised. Absolutely. I mean, uh, my dad actually lives in Dallas now, so he was he was even more excited that I got traded there because uh, he lives about ten minutes from the stadium. It was pretty pretty convenient for him. But yeah, it was it was a cool it was cool getting traded to back in my home state for sure. That new stadium looks pretty cool. Have you gotten to see any uh, inside shots of it? I saw a couple of aerials of it. It looks like it's going to be unreal. Yeah, it, it looks beautiful. Uh, they've done an outstanding job. I got I got to go up in December, and we did uh, like a little like construction worker Christmas lunch, and 
signed some autographs, and we got a sneak peek into the stadium, and it looked looked phenomenal. So I have to ask this question, and this is coming from me having worked for a Brewers affiliate. You spent time with the Nashville Sounds this past year once you were traded to the Rangers organization. What is the Tim Dillard experience like? Oh, Tim Dillard, that dude is one of the best of the best. He's that guy you can't get enough of. He's he's a fun dude to be around, but he's also a guy that you can learn so much from. He's been he's been in the game for a while and it's just it's fun to talk to him and just talk talk life with him and see what he's been been doing. Uh, but he's he is a character. He's a great dude. One of the best in baseball. Did you have a chance to be in a Tim Dillard video? I have. I've gotten in two of them actually. Two of them. I played. I played a good part. We did a Wayne's World scene. Um, that was that was a good one. And then he did like a little. Uh, I think it was like Mario National Mario Day or something. And he he did a Mario Bros skit, and I was just playing a turtle, just kind of more of a prop in that one. You know, the one great thing about Tim Dillard is he's so self-deprecating. I think that they actually did a ceremony, correct me if I'm wrong, about him becoming the Nashville Sounds all-time strikeout leader. And the reason why that's relevant is that they were a Brewers affiliate for many years, so he spent a lot of time there when he was with the Brewers organization. Were you there when they did that ceremony? I was not there for that. Um, but, I mean, he, he the year he had last year was so big for – that team, I mean, he, I think he led the league in innings pitch almost, or it was damn near it. He was, un- he had an unbelievable year last year. <laughs> he pitched 153 innings last year, which is more remarkable considering the fact that 21 of them were starts and he had 12 appearances out of the bullpen. So this is a guy that effectively is just going to do whatever it takes to help the team win. In fact, he had more innings pitched last year than in his previous three seasons combined. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, about him. Uh, they were. I heard a story. I wasn't there for this, but uh, so I think it was a doubleheader or something, and I think the, the sounds were exhausted on pitching. And I think Tim had thrown like an inning the night before, and they're like, hey, Tim, do you think you can start, start the game today? We're just going to need like a couple from you. All right, sure. So he's warming up in the bullpen. How Tim's warming up all Thomas off like frantically and he's super fast. But yeah, I heard he, he flips the ball to the bullpen and says, Enjoy your off day, boys and then walks out there and throws like five no hit innings. He's had an absolute through a gem. That's awesome. But that's who he was. He just wanted to help help the squad with by doing whatever he could. That is a true team player if I have ever seen one. We're here with Ian Jabot, Rangers reliever on MLB Morning Coffee. Ian, I got to ask you because you've been a part of the rule now for two years. What is your opinion on minor league baseball's extra inning rule when you start with a runner on second base? And the reason I ask you this is that you're a closer or you were a closer for a lot of your time in the minors. And that's a rule that affects closers big time, especially if you're on the visiting team. What are your thoughts on the rule? Do you think it intend? Do you think the intent is good? Because there are a couple of different 
viewpoints that I look at it. Number one, they're trying to end games quicker. But number two, they're also trying to make it so that developmental teams, and this is mainly, I think, for like high A and below, don't go deep into their bullpens and use guys that organizations don't want throwing a hefty amount of innings at the lower levels. For sure, for sure. Uh, I can I can understand it at the lower levels, but I I really have a hard time seeing it being in the big leagues. I mean, I just don't think it's a, it's just the right way that you can win a baseball game. I think it was meant. That's not how it was meant to be. Um, but yes, I can understand it as a tool to limit pitches and and limit innings. Um, and I agree with that. I mean, there's definitely organizations and guys that they don't want throwing a lot, which is totally fine. I mean, guys coming off injury or yada, yada. But, uh, I mean, yeah, it is It's tough losing a game like that. It really is. Um, I mean, it's tough losing a game in general. But when, when you feel like that they almost didn't earn it, when that runner was placed on, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. I think there was a game in double-A last year. I think it was a Texas League game, and I think that the Mariners affiliate, the Arkansas Travelers, I think they won a game while being no hit, and it was because of the extra inning rule that that happened. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing when you think about it. Nowhere else could that happen. So, Ian, right now you had a throwing program, you got ramped up, and then it got shut down. What do you have to do right now to keep yourself in shape and keep yourself ready to go if and when the season gets a jump start back? Because I'm reading in certain places that they would give everybody about like three weeks to get ready before they actually started playing games. So what are you doing right now to keep yourself ready? Are you just lifting a lot? Are you trying to throw a little bit? Are you working on any cardio things? I mean, is there anything in particular that the Rangers gave you to say, okay, while you're home, you got to be able to do X, Y, and Z so that you can be ready once we bring you back? It's more so the we tell like the Rangers, I guess, what we have accessible right now, to be honest, and they they help accommodate and like generate a workout plan for us. And I live next to a park, which is pretty lucky. So my buddy, that's a uh, he's a college coach, so he's back home. And Houston, we've been throwing together. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you, we, they give us a throwing program, uh, which I kind of – I stick towards generally. I mean, there's some days you feel good, some days you feel bad, and you kind of listen to your body. Um, but, yeah, you have a, I have a mound that I have access to, which is great. Um, but just only thing is really weight room. Weight room you don't really have access to. Um, but they – They've generated some like body weight workouts for us, and it's been it's been good making do with we, what we can. Yeah, man, I can feel you there because in my little shoebox of a place here in San Francisco, all I've got is a medicine ball. So it's basically push-ups and a medicine ball. So, and I would I would order online more equipment, but I kind of got to watch the finances right now just because it's if it's affecting everybody economically. So. While you do have some free time, I know you told me that you were out at a friend's ranch a couple of weekends ago. Uh, what are you doing to try and pass the time? Are you catching up on some TV shows? Are you trying to watch new movies? Are you 
trying to spend time with family while social distancing? Like, what is what is your go-to for for trying to pass this time? Yeah, I mean, I guess my girlfriend and I we've been watching a lot of shows. Um, we watched this new one on Amazon Prime called Hunters. Pretty good. I, I've I've enjoyed it. Pretty crazy show. Um, but yeah, I guess we've just my girlfriend and I we've been going on a lot of walks. Live next to it in the a neighborhood that's nice. I have a lot of big trees and walk around there and pass some time. Think about playing, playing I Spy or something. But yeah, we went to uh, my buddy's ranch and I got to turkey hunt for the first time. Um, thankfully, I played with him in high school, so I was able to play catch up there too. Um, but yeah, I got a turkey for the first time. And that was that was an adrenaline rush. So where I live, there's, at least not in the city proper, but in a couple of areas on the outskirts, there are a couple of decent hilly areas, and I see wild turkeys running around and gobbling all the time. Like, how hard is it to, to catch a turkey? Like, do they do they move pretty quickly if they know they're being hunted? Yeah, those, uh, those guys are pretty quick. I mean, you got to basically just propped up against a tree or in a little blind. And you got to call them in within to get them within 40, 50 yards if you got a shotgun. And they've got really, really good eyesight. So you've got to be you're decked out in all camo. Um, but yeah, they, you just can't get spotted or else those things take off on you real quick. So I got to ask you because I did ask about shows Tiger King, have you watched it? Are you going to watch it? Are you refusing to watch it? What are your thoughts on the whole thing, if you have watched it? Oh, I've watched it. it is, I mean, it is wild. It is not what I was expecting, I will tell you that. Who do you feel like would be a good actor to play Joe Exotic if they were to do a Tiger King movie? Goodness. Because uh... I could see, like, an aged Drew Barrymore as Carol Baskin. Oh yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that you just nailed that. Oh yeah, that's definitely. I can see that. Oh my gosh. What about Danny McBride? Yeah, Danny McBride would be pretty funny. He would be real good, I'm sure. I feel I was like thinking, who Tiger plays King Joe is... Dirt? Uh, David Spade. Yeah, David Spade. That's right. I was drawing a blank on that. I feel like Danny McBride would be the perfect role because I feel like every role that you see Danny McBride in is this I don't give two bleeps about this type of deal and I'm going to say whatever I want. And I'm like, that's 1,000% Joe Exotic. I guess the real question is who you get to play Doc Antle? I mean, I kind of like John C. Riley. I think he would kind of be a pretty funny suit serious guy you know what I mean yeah he could be a pretty funny serious guy the problem is is every time I think of John C. Riley, I just think of Cal Melton Jr. from Talladega Nights and then I also think of Dr. Steve Brule from his Adult Swim TV show Check It Out which I think could be uh, a funny character in itself within one of those movies so in any event I think it's going to be a fascinating movie once it eventually does get made and I think it will end up getting made but I'll ask you Ian if there was ever going to be a movie made about your life 
who would play you? Wow. Um, I don't know. I mean, easy answer is Brad Pitt, right? The easy answer is Brad Pitt. So are we going Moneyball Brad Pitt? Are we going Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Brad Pitt? Are we going Inglorious Bastards Brad Pitt? I don't know. See, I don't know if I want to take the easy way out of this thing. You know, another good actor that probably would do a good job of playing you is Chris Pine. I think Chris Pine could probably be a, a pretty good pretty good role for you. I could see that. I like it. Chris Pine would have to grow his hair out a little bit, though. He doesn't have the, the same type of hair that, that you do. Just a tad. Getting a little wild in this lockdown. Much, much need of a haircut. Have you ever thought about doing anything, not to, to talk about Joe, have you ever think, thought about doing anything exotic with your hair? I mean, my buddy's always trying to get me to shave a mullet into my hair, but... I mean, I'm already I'm close enough to it, but I just I can't bring myself to do it. What is one interesting fact, and then we will let you go because we've kept you for a good amount of time, and we appreciate your time this morning, Ian. What is one fact about you that if people knew it, they'd be surprised? I'm a certified scuba diver. W- wow. That's actually fantastic. So did you do? Did you scuba dive in the Gulf growing up? Because that's your nearest big body of water to Houston. So did you? Can you scuba dive in the Gulf, or do you have to go to like Galveston and uh, and scuba dive over there? I always did it growing up. Uh, my family we would always vacation in Mexico. It's such a short flight, so we would go down there and. Uh, I guess my mom would just get me and my sister to do it. And I guess my dad did it growing up and when he traveled around when he was younger. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was – I love it. I love doing it. It's a, I've been on quite a few dives. I've done a night dive. That was pretty creepy. But it was, it was cool. What's the most intimidating animal that you've come face-to-face with while you've scuba-dived? I mean, I kind of got chased down by a barracuda once. That wasn't good fun. I got my heart racing a little bit. Um, but, I mean, I've seen sharks, uh, black tip, reef sharks. Um, okay, those guys, but nothing too crazy. Well, hey, man, as long as you're here and you're safe and you're not eaten by a barracuda or a piranha or a shark, that's that's all that matters, man. That's all that matters. Ian Jabot, really appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks again for doing this, and uh, hopefully that you're able to stay safe, and we'll see you back on the mound pretty soon. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you for having me. Stay safe, stay healthy. Ian Jabot here on MLB Morning Coffee, Texas Rangers reliever. Thanks for joining us again today, folks, for another edition of Coffee Conversations. And as always, we'll catch you in the AM. Ah, yes. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of MLB Morning Coffee. Hope that you all enjoyed our episode with Ian Jabot of the Texas Rangers yesterday. He was a fantastic conversation, 
Sincerely got to enjoy talking with him about his life, his upbringing, and who would play him in Tiger King, uh, or rather who would play Joe Exotic in Tiger King, or rather who, who would play him in a movie, which I think was a pretty interesting topic. A couple of housekeeping items. Make sure that you leave a review, write a rating, and subscribe. That's what we need. That's what we're all about to try and get our ranking a little bit higher up there. I actually think I just reversed those, but you know what? You understand the point. Write a review, leave a rating, and subscribe. My guest today for our coffee conversation, he is a Kansas City Royals prospect. He helped the Idaho Falls Chuckers win the 2019 Pioneer League Championship, a 35th round pick by the Kansas City Royals out of UC San Diego. Joining me from San Diego, just a good nine hours south of the Ocean Avenue studios here in San Francisco, it is Jonah DePoto. Jonah, what's going on, man? How you doing today? I'm good. How you doing, Greg? You know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun getting to talk with various players, not only that I worked with, but players that I haven't worked with that have ended up in the big leagues. And I tell you what, man, podcasting is a great thing to get your mind in a right place baseball-wise because you can reminisce and talk about different experiences and memories that you have, and it makes the game seem like it's closer than it actually is right now. I think that's a really beautiful thing, having that, being able to to talk about it and experience those moments through different lenses right now with how crazy everything is. So I want to start a little bit toward the beginning for you. You go to a Division II school in UC San Diego. Now, because of your dad and him playing in the big leagues and then moving into front offices, you moved around a lot. So for you, having lived in a variety of different places, you were born in New York, what was it like for you during the high school process of of getting recruited and deciding where you wanted to go play college baseball? Uh, it was it was pretty strange. Um, my my movement around subsided a little bit once I got into high school, which was nice. My entire childhood we moved around a ton. Like you said, I was born in New York. We moved to Colorado, lived there for a bit. Kansas lived there for a bit, uh, and then Arizona, and that was where I started high school. Uh, my freshman year, I was in Arizona, and then after that, we moved to California. So thankfully, I got my last three years uh, of high school in California. So I got to go around the uh, like the travel ball circuit and the scouting circus out here. Got to do all those tournaments um, and all that. Uh, recruiting is always an interesting process, regardless of of who you are or where you are. Uh, it's really nice getting to be in Southern California because of how big baseball is down here there's always always scouts there's always tournaments there's always stuff going on uh there were a lot of schools that i talked to uh pretty early on but ucsd was actually one of the very first schools to reach out um during my my senior season i didn't really talk to anybody my junior year uh that i can remember but pretty early on they they told me hey like if you want to come here you can come right in you can start freshman year and to me that was the most important thing uh was just getting to play uh because i i always feel like it's it's better to go to i mean ucsd is a great program but it's better to go somewhere where you're gonna get time than like i could have gone to vanderbilt and if you go to vanderbilt as a freshman unless you're kumar rocker throwing 98 you're probably gonna sit freshman year you know yeah, and I think that having the experience and being able to put in the sweat equity 
is extremely important in terms of your development because mm-hmm. if you don't have those innings early on, it may not set you up down the line to be as successful as you are. Now, you had an interesting college career in the fact that you were primarily a reliever your first two years. You move to a starter in your junior season, and then you go back to the bullpen in your senior season. For you, Mm -hmm. what was the adjustment like knowing that you're a reliever for two years, then you're asked to start, and then they tell you you're going right back to the bullpen? How do you mentally adjust to the different responsibilities of being a starter versus being a bullpen guy? Uh, it's, it's it's pretty interesting when you're when you're younger. It's kind of hard to understand. I mean, you go from in high school, there there really aren't relievers. You know, you start pretty much every game or every other game because you have two or three guys who actually pitch most of the games. And so when I got to UCSD and they told me I was going to be in the bullpen, it was kind of almost like a shell shock. But at some point, like you kind of have to expect it coming to a new place and being the younger guy, especially because we had an, uh, a fairly old staff. Um, but we had three or four freshmen, including myself, that our coach saw as like our core for while we were going to be there. And so he started to work us all in to starting. I started starting a little bit towards the end of my freshman season. Uh, and then junior year, uh, I went to relieving and I was a reliever that entire year. And that was when I started to really see some success. Freshman year, I struggled a lot uh, just because it's, it's very different. Um, adjusting to like the college life and college baseball, it's much, much different than, than high school or travel ball or anything like that. Um, and then junior year, it was kind of just off of necessity of what our coach wanted to do. I've always been very uh, like, kind of you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. I'm never a person who's really going to complain about my role or like, I don't think I'm getting enough time. I feel like if you play well, it'll all take care of itself. And for me, one of the most important things that that my head coach at UCSD, Eric Newman ever told me was my junior year. uh, When I started starting games, he, he told me he didn't want me to treat the games like I was a starter. He told me, "I, I don't want you to go out there and think you're pitching innings one through nine and you got to get all the way through. He said, treat the first inning like you're coming into the ninth with a one run lead and every single inning, you're just closing that inning. And if you close the first inning, great. Then you close the second inning. If you close the second inning, you close the third inning. And I think that's the best way to look at it is just every inning is like you're a closer. I think that's a really good way to put it because you have a different mentality when you're going out there, you understand you're not looking too far down the road. You're just looking at the outs ahead of you. And I know the old cliche goes, you take it one batter at a time, one pitch at a time. But mm-hmm. for you, when you take that type of mindset, is it easier to focus that way? Oh, I definitely think so. Because as soon as you start thinking too much, I feel like you've already kind of lost. The One of my favorite things that I've heard multiple people say it. Um, I know my dad has definitely said it to me a few times, but you let the hitter do the thinking. That's a good way to put it because you're the one holding the cards. He's got to guess what you're doing. We're here with Royals prospect Jonah DePoto here on MLB Morning Coffee. I'll take you to draft day now. Now, you're taking in the 35th round, and you probably don't know exactly what's going to happen because you're a senior at a Division II school. You have the inkling you can get drafted, but 
unlike a lot of the guys that are at the earlier ends of it, you have no idea when. What was that moment like for you when your name got called and you found out you're going to be a part of the Royals organization? It was it was really cool for me. My my junior year was really tough. Uh, I got drafted out of high school and I was expecting to get drafted throughout college. My junior year, I had a really good beginning of the year and then the last half of the season just kind of face planted. Uh, so not hearing my name that year was kind of tough. I, I knew going back out senior year, I knew I was I had pretty decent stuff. I knew I had a solid career, nothing too special, but decent. Um, I knew I had a good shot at getting drafted, but I tried not to think about it too much. And it was really weird on draft day. Usually for most guys, you're you're sitting at home with your family and you're watching the TV or the computer, or whatever, as they're calling the names. When the draft happened, we were actually playing in the College World Series uh, in an elimination game. And uh, one of my best friends, Ted Stuka, got, he got picked in the 16th or 17th round uh, by the Tigers right before our game started. Uh, so it was really cool getting to celebrate that with him. And then we went into the game and kind of had to like check back into game mode. Um, and we played the first five, five innings or six innings. Uh, I ended up pitching. I'm trying to remember if it was two or three innings. And then we had a, a thunder and lightning delay, like severe rain downpour. This is in Cary, North Carolina. And so we had to go up to the, uh, like the viewing deck uh, or the concourse. Uh, and we're all standing around there just kind of waiting. And I didn't even grab my phone because I had just gone off the mound and I had to, I was just thinking about pitching, like getting back out on the mound and trying to, to finish out the game, trying to win it. And my, uh, my now wife, fiance at the time was standing there with her phone as the names are going by. Uh, and I could see it on her face right when it happened because she got that big gaping mouth and started freaking out. Uh, and then showed me her phone, and it said that the Royals picked me in the 35th, and I thought it was unbelievable. I was so excited. Has to be the biggest thrill in the world. And for me, when I've been doing a lot of these conversations, I've been talking to players about what that moment was and and how everybody has a different experience. And I think that's the great thing about it is that every player, and I'm sure that you've known so many guys that have had this same experience of getting drafted, and yet the moment is so different in so many different ways. I think that it's a moment of joy that is unique to every individual. I would agree with that 100%. It's really special for for everybody, too, because I know especially for me, that was with how I've kind of grown up in the game. Basically, from the moment I was born, that's always been what I've dreamed of, is playing in the major leagues, hearing my name called on draft day. And it was so just like a moment of pure elation hearing that and realizing that it's actually happening. So Jonah, you go to Arizona, you pitch one game in the AZL, and then you're assigned to Burlington at the beginning of July. Mm -hmm. And in Burlington, you do not give up an earned run in your first 13 appearances. Your second appearance, you had three unearned runs, but you don't give up an earned run until August 21st. And one of the reasons why you were so effective is because of the slider that you developed with your college <laughs> pitching coach between. So you've told me this story and I want to ask, how did it come about that you could trust this pitch 
as early on as you did. So if, for the listeners who haven't heard, give the story of how you developed that slider and how did you know you could trust it right away? Um, so immediate, almost immediately after, after the draft, after the World Series was over, we came back to San Diego. Uh, I still had a week left of college before I, I graduated because I was going to walk before I went to, to Arizona. And I was throwing bullpens and getting ready to go out there. Uh, my college pitching coach, Matt Harvey, uh, would always work with me during my pens. And I always had pretty decent stuff in college. I had a pretty solid slider, but it was never anything insane. Like it always had a good spin rate. It had good movement, whatever. Uh, and my pen right before I left for Arizona, uh, he told me he wanted to try something new out. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm like, I'm fine with trying anything. What do you got? And he showed me a grip. He told me it was supposed to be a cutter. Uh, and he thought that it would play really well with what I already have, my my fastball and my slider. So I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And the first one that I threw moved to me would look like almost a foot and a half. And he kind of just slapped me on the back. And he's like, yeah, just throw that one. You'll be fine. <laughs> um, and I don't even think there was really a, a moment where I realized that I could trust it as much as I did. I think it was a little bit more of when I was in, when I was in Burlington, right when I got there, um, I had a lot of trouble locating my fastball. Uh, I, I don't know for whatever reason I was having a hard time with it. And for me, I, I always had good command of my old slider, which was a little bit loopier. Uh, the new one that I had just started throwing, uh, I called a cutter and, Carlos Martinez, our pitching coach in Burlington, always made a lot of fun of, of me for it because it definitely was not a cutter. Uh, but when I started having command issues with my fastball, that was kind of what I fell back on. And I slowly realized, I think probably two or three outings after I had gotten to Burlington, I realized that that was the pitch that I actually had the most command on for whatever reason. And uh, Will Hancock, our catcher, would call it all the time. And I would never shake it off. And it just kind of became the go-to. And it certainly worked, man. And to me, I remember a story you were telling me that against, and I can't remember if it was on Trackman or Rapsodo, but it's the third highest spin rate of any slider in affiliated professional baseball. Is that correct? Uh, I believe so. I've, I don't know the exact numbers, but... I have heard that it is among the highest in all of baseball um, movement profile and spin rate. I'll tell you what, man, to, to be able to claim that type of a stat, that just shows you how impressive that <laughs> is. And I'll say this to the listeners out there. This is an audio medium, medium, so we can't put video on here. That's not how podcasts are formatted. But if you get a chance to see Jonah pitch live, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The first time I saw it, I was absolutely blown away by it. I didn't know that the physics of a baseball could make it move that much. So, I mean, to be able to to take a pitch like that and develop it as quickly as you did says a lot, number one, about your ability to adapt, and number two, about your ability to take something on the fly and try and perfect it. That means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Of course, man. So <laughs> I want to move on to what I think is an interesting transitional period for you. The Appalachian League season is shorter than the Pioneer League season. So mm -hmm. while we were still in our regular season in Idaho Falls, 
you were in the championship series against Johnson City in the Appy League, and you guys came up just short. Were you expecting to continue playing last season? Did you have an idea that maybe you'd get sent to Idaho Falls or to Lexington or Wilmington for the playoffs if they needed you? Like when you stepped off the mound for the last time in the Appy League Championship Series, did you think that you'd be done for the year? Did you feel like there were still a couple more innings that you were going to end up throwing? Oh, I thought for sure it was the the end of the season. I was pretty bummed about it. I remember throwing the that last game against Johnston City. We all went back to our hotel, and we were uh, all the players in Burlington. And we were like, "Well, I guess that's kind of it. I guess we'll see everybody in spring training." Um, and I, I stayed up with my roommate that night, and we had some fun just hanging out. Uh, and I flew back to San Diego in the morning. I think I left at like four or five a.m., something like that, crazy early. I got back to San Diego. I went to get coffee uh with my wife and she went and got like a haircut or something and I was sitting in the car I had only been home for three maybe four hours uh, and I got a call that I was going to Idaho and I was sitting there and I I couldn't believe it I was for me I mean at least I didn't have a lot of time to let it really sink in because mentally I had thought that that was the end of the season that I was done that I wasn't gonna like throw another pitch until I got back to spring training, but they called me and told me I was going to Idaho. And I was like, hell yeah. I was like, give me, give me the flight. I'll get out there as fast as I can. Uh, and I ended up flying out that next morning, uh, like around like 8 or 9 a.m. And I was, I was up in Idaho ready to go. <laughs> and you start off with a 12-hour round trip to Billings, Montana, for game mm-hmm. one of the series in which only two pitchers ended up pitching in that game. You got to experience a pioneer league road trip like none other. And and certainly for the two years I was in the league, like none other that I had experienced. And I remember you were sitting right behind me on the bus and everybody else is like trying to sleep or play games. Like what was it like for you having to acclimate to an entire new team and an entire new coaching staff on the fly? It's it's definitely a little bit a little bit weird. Um, for me, I don't think it's too difficult to do because of how much I moved around as a child and how kind of used to it I had to be. Because I've I've played on, I can't even count how many different teams I've played on or how many different schools I've been to. But you always kind of have to just be okay with like not being comfortable around people, and you have to find comfort in that which sounds kind of weird, but I feel like for me, I don't really think about it as being a weird thing. I just kind of get there and I'm like, oh, new people. Okay. And then it just kind of goes from there. You know, you just kind of got to roll with the flow. Your manager in Burlington, Chris Widger, who I believe is going to be managing in high A Wilmington this year. Mm -hmm. He was one of the best handlers of pitchers when he was in the big leagues and somebody that won a World Series with the White Sox in 2005, handling one of the best single-season starting staffs that probably has existed in the last 20 years. What did you learn from him about being a professional? I think the most important thing that I learned from Widge was it 
doesn't really matter what all's going on around you. We had a lot of the Appy League is always kind of weird where you have strange rain delays in the middle of nowhere or all kinds of just different delays. A lot of the fields are a lot different than what you would expect. The mounds are kind of funky or the backstops weird. There's all kinds of different factors that make different stadiums or different teams that you play a little bit abnormal. And what he would always tell us would just be, it it's going to be weird. I mean, the one that I always think about is uh, the Bluefield Blue Jays. They had a weird, their backstop right behind the plate. Uh, there was like a hill almost. So you felt like you weren't throwing down the mound. You felt like you were throwing almost a flat ground, which pitching is bizarre to do. And he would always tell us like, it's going to be weird. It's just how fast can you get to being okay with it being weird? And I feel like that's kind of the epitome of being a professional, especially as a pitcher. Is like stuff's gonna happen. People are gonna make errors. Fields are gonna be weird. It might rain or something. Like stuff's gonna happen. It's how quickly can you adjust and be okay with it being abnormal. We're talking with Jonah Depoto here on MLB Morning Coffee, Kansas City Royals prospect. Jonah. You pitched the final two games of the Pioneer League Championship Series. And from what I understand, they were not going to let you pitch that championship game, or at least that wasn't the plan, since you ended up pitching the day before. What was the conversation like with Clayton Mortensen and Omar Ramirez in regards to what your availability was going to be in that championship final? And how did you rebound after pitching the day before? to get out two innings of championship-level baseball that brought yourself a championship? Um, t- to be fair, it's it wasn't too weird for me bouncing back. In college, I had a lot of series where I'd pitch uh, back-to-back games. And I remember even last year, my senior year, I had, I think, two or three weekends where I would pitch back-to-back-to-back days. So I, I had kind of gotten used to having to be okay pitching a little bit tired or a little bit sore and not really letting that get to you. I remember the the day of the championship game. I don't remember if it was, if it was Omar or if it was Morty came up to me and asked me like, are you going to be good to go if we need you for whatever reason? I think it was Morty. He said, I don't think we're going to need you. I hope we don't need you, but would you be able to pitch if we need you? And, Immediately, I was like, yes. I was like, I will pitch as many innings as you want, as many pitches, whatever I need to do. (laughs) I am all in. What was it like for you stepping into, and granted, you pitched in a lot of environments different than this in the Appalachian League. What's it like stepping on the mound in Ogden if you haven't been there before? It's definitely different than I would say probably any other stadium that I played at this past season and because of how large the stadium is and kind of enclosed everything in the stadium reverberates a lot more there's a lot more echoes everything's louder um and you can really feel all of the emotion between both dugouts and the fans which I think it it makes it a really cool environment to plan and to pitch in because you can feel 
everybody shifting with every pitch, which I think is a lot of what baseball is about. Um, but it, it was definitely different from any of the other stadiums that I pitched in. But it's one of those things too, where you walk out there or even sitting in the bullpen, you could, you could feel it and see it. And you're like, that's pretty cool. But as soon as you get on the mound, I always think about it as it's almost kind of like you black out for a little bit when you get on the mound and everything else around you kind of gets drowned out and it's just you and the catcher. That final out, that strikeout that ends the game and clinches the championship. When you see that final strike, what's your immediate feeling of emotion? Is it jubilation? Does your heart rate just like go from zero to a hundred? I mean, what was it like for you knowing that your hand delivered the final out of the championship? Oh, it was awesome. I, I, I remember there being like almost a pause right after I threw it of <laughs> like it is what I saw, right? Was, was that actually strike three? Like we just won. And then Im- immediately I started losing it. I think I, I chucked my glove or something. It, it felt like I was on cloud nine. I was pumped. It was unbelievable being able to, to seal the deal. It was a really cool thing. So for you right now, how are you trying to stay ready? Did you even get to spring training because you were going to be reporting to minor league spring training? And I know that the Royals had set their minor league report date back a little bit. So did you ever actually get to Arizona this year? Or have you basically been training from home the entire time? No, I actually got to be in Arizona for quite a bit. Uh, I went out in late January for uh, early camp. And then I came back, I think February 15th or 16th was when I I went down to Arizona. Um, I went out uh, like a week and a half, two weeks before my official report date. So I got to just be around the facility and get all my work in there. Uh, I mostly just got to throw my bullpens and got my lifts in. And it was nice getting to be around everybody. I was bummed because the the day that we had our meeting, uh, when we were kind of in limbo between, are we going to shut down or like what's going on, was the day that I was supposed to throw my first live, which was a little bit of a bummer, but. Yeah, I can imagine that that would be a bummer, just given that you have this mental preparation for this moment and then it completely shuts down on you. And there's nothing really that you can do. It's just the nature of the beast and what happened happened. And you can't really worry about it other than the fact that you've just got to find a way to stay ready. So what have you been doing to stay ready if and when baseball gets started back up again? I've been trying to do everything I can to to keep things normal. Uh, I've been doing home workouts, which it's a little bit tough not having your squat racks and all that, the, the good stuff. Um, I've been doing a lot of body weight workouts. I've been running a lot, biking a lot. Uh, I'm still able to throw, which is nice. I've been able to get a catcher so I can throw bullpens once, twice a week and kind of get that sense of normalcy with with bullpens, which is good. And then outside of that, it's mostly been throwing a lot of balls into, into nets and screens, just trying to keep the arm loose and work on the little things. 
So one thing that I noticed, and this is the portion where I get into your relationship with your dad, your middle name is Seaver. You mm-hmm. were born when your dad was pitching for the Mets. So I guess the question is, have you ever gotten a chance to meet your namesake? And have you ever talked to your dad or your mom even, but I assume your dad probably a little bit of a bigger influence about why he decided to give you the middle name that he did? Uh, unfortunately, I have never actually met Tom Seaver. Um, growing up, that was always my, my dad's from New Jersey. Um, so he always watched the Mets. That was his team. And Tom Seaver was his favorite pitcher. Uh, and so it was almost natural for him to, to name me after him. Uh, cause that was always who he looked up to. Uh, and it's kind of who I've looked up to as well, uh, as a byproduct, but yeah, I've never met him. Uh, when I was a baby, I did get a letter from him saying that if I ever played for the Mets, that I could wear 41, which I have it, I have, I have it framed in my room in Seattle. I think it's one of the coolest things. It's not something I, I think I would ever do, but it was a really cool gesture from him. I just think it's even cooler the fact that you were born while your dad was actually pitching for his childhood team. Like that mm-hmm. to me is one of the coolest things that could happen. So yeah, awesome. so the fact that, that that happened the way it did is pretty darn cool. Now, your dad was a big league pitcher, but knowing how kids and parents work, you take some advice from your parents, but at the same time, you also want to be your own man. So for you, when you were developing as a pitcher, how much of your development was taking what you learned from visually watching your dad or taking his advice, and how much of it was learning from your childhood coaches and trying to develop your own mechanics based on what you learned from your coaches? I think it's a pretty good mix of both. I know I, I, I hear about it a lot from a lot of uh, professional coaches and scouts who either played with my dad or have watched my dad before. A lot of guys will kind of slap each other and laugh about how much I, I look like him or how much I pitch like him mechanically. Uh, I got a, luckily I got to watch my dad a lot when I was younger. Unfortunately, I don't vividly remember a ton of it because I was pretty young. Um, but getting to go back and watch video now is really cool. Uh, when I was younger, my dad was always a coach for me and would always help me. He still helps me all the time. I'll still send him video and ask him like, Hey, what do you think about this? How's this looking? Um, but definitely a lot of it is also from coaches I've had throughout the years. It's a lot of back and forth between everybody. And I think that's the best way to really build yourself into what you want to be is to take as much information as you can from everybody and do what you think is the best. And thankfully my dad has given me a lot of really good advice and a lot of really good tips. Um, and has always been there to help me. He's one of my heroes and I always look up to him. Uh, so it's really nice being able to have him in my corner and him helping me along the way, but you definitely got to take in a lot from everybody else as well. And I have to say one of my coolest stories ever, I was working for a Mariners minor league affiliate in 2015 and 2016. And we're at the winter meetings in 2015 and every major league team has their affiliate dinners. So at these affiliate dinners, you usually have 
you know, a couple of members from the big league front office or the big league coaching staff that are there, along with a couple of PR people. Well, this is the first winter meetings that your dad is the GM for the Seattle Mariners. And I walk into the room and I don't know how he was able to figure this out. I didn't even have a name tag on, but maybe maybe he was just that studious about getting to know the people that were on the guest list. But he's like, hey, you must be Greg. I'm Jerry. Nice to meet you. <laughs> like, like, not, e- like, not, like, I didn't even go, like, he came up to me first. I was like, this is so cool. He went out of his <laughs> way to introduce himself to somebody that he may not ever see again in his life. And it was just, it was one of the coolest experiences that I ever had. And I give your dad a lot of credit for making sure that he he does his homework and is studious about what he does. And so I guess that translates into the question, what have you learned either from your dad as a pitcher or your dad as a scout and a front office executive about preparation? I've, I've learned a lot about preparation from my dad. He, out of everybody that I know, I think he does m- more work than probably anybody in the world to prepare for everything. It's unbelievable how much effort he puts into everything that he does. And it's really cool to see. And like you said, with, with him knowing your name, part of it is that he's just really good with people and likes people. But part of it too, is that he's almost kind of like rain man a little bit where he just remembers everything that he's ever seen. Um, You could probably ask him about any like important baseball event. You could ask him like who won the like 1957 world series. And he could tell you, who won it, who the winning pitcher was, who had like the winning hit, like crazy stuff like that. Um, but he, one of the, the biggest things that he always taught me about preparation was always being a student of the game and never thinking that you're too good or that you know enough to be able to not have to really work at it. Because it's it's never about being better than who you're playing against. It's about being better than you were yesterday. And no matter who you're playing against, what level you're at, you always have to prepare to be the best. And it's, it's always doing everything that you possibly can do to be ready for any situation that comes at you and having everything checked off. Because if you've done it once, then when it comes up, you know how to do it. What is a moment in your life that has given you the greatest amount of satisfaction, whether it be the day that you proposed to your now wife or the day that you made your professional debut? What's a moment that you look back on and say, I am so proud of this moment, not because of what I did performance wise, but because of what it meant to anybody else involved? I feel like I, I definitely have to go with two on that one. I'll definitely have to go with my wedding day. I feel like I can't not use that one as a very satisfying moment because it's 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 the, the epitome of trying to be a, a good man and a good husband. And it leads into everyone that's ever impacted my life trying to make me that good man that I want to be or that I'm striving to be which I, th- I think is a really powerful moment and a, a special event for everybody that's involved with it. Uh, and then I think definitely on the baseball side, 
it would have to be that professional debut where it's the the buildup of 22 years of of learning and practicing and all of the the games of catch playing with my dad and hitting off a tee even though I don't even hit anymore but hitting off a tee with him when I'm like seven years old and throwing in the grass outside and all of the the work with all of the different coaches and all the different teammates all of that feeds into that and I think that's really cool too so for a lot of people that don't know and we're here with Jonah DePoto on MLB Morning Coffee Kansas City Royals pitching prospect and we'll keep Jonah on for a couple more minutes because we've taken up a good amount of his time at UC San Diego you're a stone's throw away from Torrey Pines. How often did you get to play out there? And is it kind of addicting to know that there's a championship level golf course that's basically in your backyard? You're going to hate me for saying this, but unfortunately I have never actually golfed on Torrey Pines, which makes me feel like a horrible San Diegan with it being literally right there. Um, but no, I, I I never have golfed on it, unfortunately. All right, I will say this. In San Diego, I had the best breakfast I've ever had anywhere. It's a place that's in the gas lamp called Breakfast Republic. There might be a couple of them around. Have you ever been to a Breakfast Republic? I have not. I, I know that it's one of the, like the highly ranked uh, food places, but most of the the breakfast restaurants that I go to are usually ones that my wife finds and she really likes the, the hole in the walls. Um, and there's a lot of good ones around here. There's a lot, a lot of good food in San Diego. I've heard very good things about breakfast Republic though. And the Mexican food there is as good as anywhere. Oh, it's unbelievable. You could find a good burrito. You can just chuck a stone and <laughs> you'll hit one. <laughs> Is San Diego a place you feel like you could end up calling home for the rest of your life? Because I'll tell you, the moment that I first stepped foot there, and it was actually for the 2014 winter meetings, uh, and by the way, another great story about a fellow ALS GM about that winter meetings, I sat next to Billy Bean on my flight home from San Diego to the Bay Area. It was, turns out his daughter was actually going to Northwestern at the time, and I had no idea which is where I went to school. <laughs> it's a small world. Baseball is a crazy small world. Baseball is a very crazy small world. And I didn't know <laughs> if it was him or not, but I'm like, and this guy sits down next to me and it's a Southwest flight. So you can sit pretty much anywhere you want. And I'm doing mm-hmm. a double take. I'm like, is that, is that Billy Bean? <laughs> I was like, it's gotta be right. And sure enough, it was, and he couldn't have been nicer. And he struck up a conversation. It was we actually didn't talk baseball at all. We were actually talking Golden State Warriors and, and college basketball. So, you know, but anyway, that first winter meetings, I went down to San Diego and I just thought this place is heaven. It, it's it's absolutely amazing. Now, granted, I'm from the Bay Area. I live in the city of San Francisco. I love San Francisco. It's a lot different than San Diego or L.A. But I mean, going back to the question, could you see yourself living the rest of your life in San Diego? Oh, I feel like I definitely could. It's beautiful out here. It's got just about everything you could possibly imagine. I mean, the beach is like a five-minute drive. You got a massive city, the downtowns within a couple of minutes, and 
there's a ton of like small nice cities right around i mean you can drive 40 minutes and you're in orange county and like newport beach huntington you got del mar right down the street there's it's unbelievable how many good places there are right around here all right jonah i got one last question for you here on ml me born here on mlb morning coffee geez i'm tripping up on my words <laughs> yeah uh, I've, I've done i've done so many of these interviews i just hate it when i trip up on my words but anyway a buddy of mine actually posed this question to me the other day and i had my answer if you could go back and put yourself in the stands for one historic world series game which one would it be oh i feel like that's an easy one are you saying game ooh, six ooh. of the 86 series? No, I wouldn't. For, uh, for me, it's between two just because I was very close to it anyway. Um, in 2004, my dad worked for the Red Sox. And the 04 World Series, is it's definitely one of the coolest sports moments, I think, just because of the curse finally getting broken. Um, but I think I would go back to the Red Sox winning it in, in 04. I think that either that or uh, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock game, because those were both unbelievable games with between two really good historic teams. And I think being in the stands there in Fenway for that moment would just be unbelievable. So to me, my moment was a moment that's actually a moment of pain. And the only reason I say that is that I just feel like it was one of the greatest moments in World Series history. I'm going to put myself in game one of the 1988 World Series. As an A's fan growing up, watching Dennis Eckersley give up the home run to Kirk Gibson. But the only reason why is that the guy that was on second base, Mike Davis, who played for the A's for eight years, was my first hitting coach ever in pro baseball in 2015 uh, when I was with the Clinton Lumber King. So to me, that would be one of the, the best moments ever. And, uh, and you know what, man, I just, I have to think about a lot of other moments. Um, one moment in particular that at least in the Bay area kind of hurts is Scott Spezio's Homer in game six of the 2002 world series when the angels mm -hmm. beat the giants. Uh, if I'm going, I could go white Sox when Scott Pesednik hit the home run uh, against Brad Lidge to to walk off in game two after he didn't have a single home or the rest of the year. I mean, there are so many great World Series moments that that you could put yourself in. Uh, I think that's just what makes this game as amazing as it is. It really is. I feel like you could almost go back to almost any year, and there's at least one moment that is just completely shifting and is would be really special to be there. I mean, I, I think about the... Joe Carter in 92-93 a lot against the Phillies because I think that is a really cool moment. But there's there's so many throughout baseball history, and I think it's fantastic how storied our game is. It's the greatest game there is, I always tell people. Final it's question true. here for you, Jonah. I said final question on the previous question, but <laughs> I'm going to actually now go final question. I told you I wanted to have you come on because I thought you had a good radio voice and that you could probably do your own podcast. Do you feel like now that, that you could host your own podcast? And if so, what would you have it be about? 
I don't know. I don't know if I could host one. I don't know if I'm creative enough to come up with a bunch of stuff to talk about. But maybe that would be a good one. Is just whatever I feel like talking about that day. I feel like I would be better as a guest though than a host. I feel like you've got the hosting down. I feel like I should just be the guest. Hey man, well you're welcome to come on this show anytime. Jonah Depoto, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jonah DePoto here on MLB Morning Coffee, a part of our Coffee Conversations. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. Make sure you check out our previous Coffee Conversations. we got Luke Farrell, Ian Jabot, Zach Littell, Dalton Kelly, and Derek Adams twice. So make sure that you check those out. And as always, we'll catch you in the AM.